It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Popery edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. Each and every week we talk about sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two if it gets gets our fancy going. Uh, we got a gambling segment usually, and my favorite part of the show where you can ask me a question on any topic and I try to answer it. Just go to Twitter, hit Rick up with the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick, I survived my my trip last week. Uh, how was your, your past week since we last talked when I was at Disney World? Uh, my week was good. I'm curious about the transportation while you were in Disney World. Did you stop any buses while you there, get kicked off of any, anything like that? Or N- No, I, I did not. I will say the one night, um, this is a pretty good story. The, the one night we were leaving where um, th- this baby was crying and, and teenage mom and dad were there and they were the teenage, they were teen babies, baby parents. Well, she's holding, the, the baby's screaming, once mom, grandpa's trying to hold baby, baby's not having any of it. Grandma then tries to hold baby. Finally, somebody else in the party turns to teen daddy and says, how about you let her sit down with the baby? He goes, that's some blank blank. And I thought, and that's when this girl turned to my wife and goes, that's why you don't bring a baby to Disney World. <laughs> I mean, she's right. She is right. Yeah. So he sounds like a real charmer. Though. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I, looked at, I looked at my kids like, you got to be kidding me. This guy's not even going to get up for her. And I was standing. I, if I had had a seat, I'd have got up for for goodness sakes. Always the gentleman. I I fully believe that. But no uh, yeah, I'm surprised you didn't sock him or something. Put him in his place. He I, must I, not I have gave, had enough Disney yet. I gave him the I gave him the stare down like dirtbag. Get up. <laughs> That's all I like to hear. All right. Well, we've got a weird show. We've got uh, some random stuff here, sports wise, because it's just that time of year. And uh, then we've got some asking anything questions to get into as well. So. All right. Let's jump in. The Reds were three and four in the day since we last spoke. The real story right now is rookie left-hander Nick Lodolo appears to be ready to make his return to the big league club. He's been on the 10-day injured list since April 25th with a lower back strain. He's now completed four rehab outings with the most recent spanning 78 pitches on Wednesday for Louisville. Currently, Tyler Malley, Luis Castillo, Hunter Green, Graham Ashcraft, and Mike Miner make up the Reds' starting rotation. So my question for you is, Kenny, what do you think the Reds should do as they work Lodolo back into the rotation? Yeah, I know David Bell said yesterday they're going to go to the six-man, but it's part of it is they've got a doubleheader um, next week. I think it's next Thursday, so that's going to kind of take care of that. Lodolo won't come off the IL till either uh, Monday or Tuesday anyway. So, uh, you know, and then, then quickly we're to the All-Star break soon after that. I, I think it sorts itself out because I think either Mike Miner pitches his way out of the rotation or and or – uh, Mali or Castillo were soon traded, but if you've got to go a couple of weeks after the All Star break with the six man, I'm kind of okay with that. It 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 limits the potential of injury to Castillo or Mali, perhaps if if you're looking to trade them. Um, it, it unfortunately gets you a Mike Miner start mixed in there, but then it also limits the innings for Ashcraft and Lodolo and Hunter Green, which you're trying to do anyway. Um, so I I, I guess I think it kind of works itself out. But if you got to go a couple of weeks with the six man, I'm not opposed to it. I have no issue with the six-man rotation at all with this young pitching staff that is throwing meaningless games right now. So I'd be fine if they went six-man rotation the rest of the way. However, I'm more interested in them trading Tyler Malley and Luis Castillo. Uh, Like, that has to be done. Um, Yeah, and and Castillo is certainly pitching his way into you maximizing return. And I'll go back. I've said this a thousand times, but I'll say it again. 
You don't have to trade either one of those if you're not getting maximum value in return. I think that's the key here is maximize the return that if you make your offer, you make it shooting for the moon of I want this, 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 and this, and then you can have my guy. And if teams turn you down, that's fine. We'll do this and we'll play this game in the winter. We'll play this game again at the next next year's trade deadline. But for me, don't just do it just to do it. Do it to maximize value. I, I mean, I, I agree with you in theory that, look, you want to get the most you can for these guys who do have some value and are worth something. But at the same time, isn't this the highest their value is going to be? I mean, it, it's not like well, they're going to be worth well, more this time next year when they only have a half season less and you're just renting them. No, I'm, I'm noting that part. Um, but but again, at that point, you may decide you want to keep one of the two of them, too. I don't think that's completely off the table. But I, I think Castillo was certainly pitched his way into arguably the best guy on the trade market. I know I've read that a couple of places. I think uh, old leather pants Jim Bowden wrote that in The Athletic that he's probably and he's probably is the best pitcher that'll be on the on the open market. That means you're going to have multiple suitors in li- all likelihood. Right. So that's the good thing is you're not just dumping it. You're going to have multiple people wanting him and wanting him badly enough to then maximize your value. Yeah, well, I'm, I would assume you don't keep Luis Castillo on the mound for one hundred and twenty three pitches against the Cubs earlier this week. If you're thinking about investing in him long term, no, that's fair. Uh, that has to be a showcase type situation where you're trying to prove to everybody, Hey, he's healthy. He can, he can be a workhorse still. And he's still on top of his game. He's back from the injuries and all of that. So I assume that is their plan to trade him. I get what you're saying about not just giving him away, but at the same time, I mean, what else is really the play here with Luis Castillo? You cannot hang on to him until this time next year. And again, I can't imagine investing in him long-term when he's a guy who's, going to be over 30 at that point and you you have no idea when you're going to compete again it's at least two years away if not much more yeah no i i I think you're right um i just i'm of the oak of again just you got to maximize the value here and and just they weren't able to do that in 2015 in any of those deals that they made you've got a chance to do that this time and maybe that's the good part to this rick is you are doing it a year ahead of of when it becomes rent a player time, um, when they're both due for free agency after 2023. And so this time around, you know, last time it was literally, they had to get rid of those guys and everybody knew it. And so you didn't maximize, you can do that this time around. And like I said, I think there's gonna be a ton of suitors for Luis Castillo, especially maybe not as much Tyler Malley, although you'll have suitors, but not as many. Um, I think you will be able to maximize value on at least Castillo and, and hopefully Malley as well. And we, I mean, Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo are obviously untouchables. If you want to throw Graham Ashcraft in that mix of saying you're not looking to get rid of another young pitcher who's shown some ability here at the major league level, totally fine with that. Aside from that, is there another untouchable? I mean, I guess people would say Tyler Stevenson, but I don't know if I really feel that way at this point. Yeah, I I, I want to build with somebody, though. I, I think Stevenson and India are part of my core moving forward. And I, and I don't think you're not trading them now with when you have that much um, – uh, control over both of them contract wise. It makes no sense whatsoever, but yeah, I think everybody else is fair game. Hopefully you can get some level of return for Brandon Drury. who probably will be the Reds all-star representative and, and that's by default, but he's having a nice year. And for a team that's looking for, you know, maybe a replacement guy or a, or a utility guy, that's going to be a super utility guy. He can be that he's shown some pop. He's shown the ability to play third and second. He gives you some versatility there. So I, I think you can get something back for Brandon Drury. The problem is I'm not sure what you get back for any of these other, rest of these jamokes. Yeah, that, that is a problem. But my, my point being that you put any any and everything into a trade to try to get some young talent that is either 
already at the major league level and just hasn't quite figured it out yet, or some guys who are right on the cusp of the major league level. I mean, it, it, it can't be what the Reds should be doing right now. What we should be watching is a young baseball team filled with promise that is getting huge opportunity right now to find themselves because this team is playing for nothing. Instead, what we're watching is a bunch of loser journeymen who have no chance of being on this team when they're actually competing again. So well, the, they need to fix that as much as possible the rest of the way. Agreed. And, and I, I did a guest segment, uh, what day was that, Monday or Tuesday, with our friend Chad, Tuesday, I guess it was, with Chad Brendel on, on 1530 Homer. And then I listened to a caller after that who said, well, bring some of these guys up from Louisville. And Chad made a right point. I mean, I'm not sure the guy looked at the roster in Louisville to see how terrible it is. That's a bunch of journeymen too. So, yeah, I, I think you need to fix that gap of high-level AAA prospect that's darn close to being major league ready that can't fit into a lineup, a loaded lineup, wherever that is, and that person can come up and play major league baseball for the rest of this year. Let's see what we got. I, I think that's where the gap is. I'd love to see three or four or five guys from Louisville that could come up and play. Problem is, they all suck for the most part. Yeah, I mean, the, the young talent right now in the Reds organization seems a? to be a couple years a? away still right. or on the major league team in the pitchers that we just talked about, but that's few and few and far between. So uh, skinny, would you take the over under on five more starts for Luis Castillo as a red under? Yeah, I think under that, that gets you to the trade deadline. And if it's a six man rotation, it probably comes up, you know, probably just short of the trade deadline. It's probably three or four starts between now and then. So yeah. I'll go under. We got th- 30, 30 games left until the trade deadline. So if you're in a six man rotation, that's like five ish starts for yeah. him. If and again, everything you know, goes planned. Yeah, and you don't. That's the funny. I don't know why it always happens that way, or seems to happen that way. That everybody goes up to the the deadline day itself, um, but you don't have to. I mean, you can right. do it as soon as you get the max. I mean, you can do it at the All Star break if you want. I'm, I'm going to go under, and it, it might be right on the number of five. Yeah, I mean that. I would probably say under two. I'm afraid though that I'm being more hopeful than actually realistic because I, I do have some concerns that the Reds are are not going to trade Luis Castillo and they end up with him heading into next year. That right now, honestly, is my biggest concern as a Reds fan. I just don't think you can do that. Yeah, Rick. And, and the other reason I'll go under, I guess, even if you do the math on, on the 30 games until the, the trade deadline, if he makes a great last start, let's say on July 24th, right? And you feel like you are going to try, are you going to risk him going out there one more time for you and blowing out his arm? I would hope not. I would hope by that point you're far enough down this road that you know you've got some type of deal in play or a couple of deals in play, and you're going to take one of them at some point. So, yeah, I I could totally see that being the case. I would go under, too, and I hope we're both right in saying that. Skinny, anything else uh, in terms of the Reds, in terms of what they should be looking for here as we approach the trade deadline over the next month? Um, No, I I... (laughs) I, I know we're playing this Hunter Green game of, of let him get his doors blown off, but I, I, I'm sorry I continue to be underwhelmed by the guy. I just am. Fair enough. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I mean, I think he's been pretty good. They took him out after 80 pitches the other night because he's pitching meaningless games right now, but. And I'm fine with that part of it. I just, yeah. I just, I'm, I'm more under, I'm more overwhelmed by Ashcraft than underwhelmed by him. I think that has to do with expectations, right? Ashcraft had almost no expectations coming in, and Hunter Green was supposed to be the the best thing since sliced bread in the Reds organization. So I kind of get where you're coming from there. I think you've been a little hard on Hunter Green personally. He looks pretty promising. Go for ball green is what I'm going to start calling him. 
right. Uh, let's move uh, by on. By the way, by the way, before we continue, will you say Chet Holmgren for me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what do people want from me? I'm an idiot. Like, I'll know, be honest I'm, with you, I I didn't notice any of that. I thought it might have been me because I thought I don't think I called him Holmgren. I don't think, but maybe I did. No, I was say last for uh, the listeners here who don't understand that reference. Last podcast we talked about the NBA draft, and instead of saying Chet Holmgren with an N, I was saying Chet Holmgren with an M and it ruined somebody's day. Like we, we actually had a, a decent amount of feedback more than we usually get on last week's podcast. And it was almost all negative. It was one guy who was very mad about me saying Chet Holmgren, uh, which was, what do you expect from me? Like I got rocks in my mouth. I'm an idiot. Like if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, your expectations should be very low. And then also so we've got some comments on our last ask any anything question, which was about uh, bathroom habits for men and how long they should be on the toilet and everything. And uh, oh, some people loved it. Some people thought it was too much and, and they were getting sick while driving. So sorry about that, folks. Yeah. What, what, what can I tell you? Speaking of the NBA draft, though, a couple quick questions. Were you surprised where Ty Ty Washington fell to a and B? Were you surprised that the guy from UCLA who averaged three and a half points per game got taken in the first round? I guess I would say yes, a little bit on the UCLA guy, although it was interesting that right away people were like, I guess this kind of tells us Mick Corona was showcasing the wrong guys, <laughs> which hard for me to argue with that. Um, and then the thing with Ty Ty Washington was I had no real idea where he was going to go. Cause if you wanted to argue to me that he was a, lower half of the first round type guy and is going to have a great career. I could see it to some extent. I mean, I, I liked his game. I, I didn't think he showed enough of it off and they didn't have quite the season that you would have liked, but I can also see why uh, he's just not quite skilled enough. He's not like he, he just seemed to like a guy who's right on the cusp for me. And it was going to be come down to one team liking him or not. And I guess, it took a little bit longer than expected for one of those teams to say, yeah, we'll, we'll take him. Yeah, no, agreed. I I'm kind of with you on that. I, I was that way with Tyler hero too. Cause I always thought he just deferred too much. I thought he should have shot it more. And lo and behold, he's become a very good NBA player on a very good team and knows how to play his role exactly to a T. And I think Ty Ty could be that because he right. has shown some shot making ability for one of those athletic quick guards that Kentucky has. So, you know, and Kentucky's guards have done well in the last several years in the NBA, even if they're not one of the stars right now. I mean, you look at Emmanuel quickly, uh, you look at Tyrese right. Maxey, these guys right. are making an impact. So, well, and the other thing too, in defense of Ty Ty, you could argue that he played out of position all year, right? That, you know, they had severe Wheeler. He, he's, he's a, he's a point guard, point guard only. Maybe, maybe Ty Ty would have flourished more with the ball in his hands more. Yeah, it could be. Now I will say, I think that's one of the big questions is yeah. he is probably going to be your point guard at the NBA level. So how is his feel? How is he playing in ball screens? And, he didn't get to showcase a lot of that last year. Uh, that would be probably my biggest concern with him. And also how skilled is he? Is he going to be able to shoot it well enough from the NBA three-point line? Uh, if if he can, then you, you might have a heck of a player on your hands that kind of a discount considering where you drafted him. Yeah, you're right. All right, let's switch gears here. This will be our betting segment to some extent here too, because Sportsbetting.ag released more than 75 quarterback props for individual statistic totals. Passing yards, passing touchdowns, and interceptions are available for nearly every projected starter in the NFL going into next year. Let's take a look at some of these numbers, and we'll start with Joe Burrow, obviously. 
Total passing yards for Joe Burrow this season, Skinny, over or under 4,400 and a half yards. I will I will tell you last year he threw for 4,611 yards in the regular season. And did not play the finale, too. Keep that in mind. He only played the first 16 games because they sat him for that last game. And with that said, I'm still going to go under, Rick, because I think they're going to play more from ahead this season, in my opinion. I think with the upgrades on the offensive line, they're going to run the ball more efficiently. I mean, they had to make a bunch of comebacks last year where Joe had to throw it a ton. I don't think we're going to see any 500-yard passing games either. That was kind of an anomaly because of how beat up Baltimore was that day, and they just picked on him, and rightfully so. They should have. Um, So I'm going to go under. I think Joe's going to have a great season. But like I said, I think they're going to run it more efficiently. They're going to have better drives. I think that's part of their focus is, is on sustaining drives. Um, rather than than relying on big plays. I think teams are going to find a way to occasionally take that big play away from Jamar Chase that they got last year and probably scheme more towards that. So I'm going to lean towards the under on passing yards for Joe Burrow. I think a lot of what you're saying is right in terms of what's going to happen with this offense, but a few things. One, you already pointed out that he sat out one of those games, so that's already could be up to 300, 400 yards right there that you're getting back in in an extra game potentially. Also. As much as I think the offensive line is going to be improved and Joe Mixon will have a great year behind them, and like you said, they'll they'll be in control more, they'll be trying to run the ball more, you've also got Joe freaking Burrow and three dynamite weapons there That's for right. him to throw the ball right. to. They're not going to be bashful about passing in this offensive attack. And also, that offensive line helps out in that regard too because if Joe Burrow is upright a little bit more often and he's not being pressured quite as much, he might be even more efficient and be able to make more big plays because he has more of an opportunity to he's not running for his life back there so do i think he's going to blow this number out of the water after throwing for 4600 yards last year no but do i think he gets over that 4400 mark i'm sure as hell not betting against it so i would go over if i have to choose one i don't really necessarily like either of those bets to be honest though yeah it's, that was a good i saw that number and i went mm, that's a that's that's kind of right around the the, the sweet spot yeah, if it would have been over 4,500, then okay, maybe I'm questioning it more and leaning towards your under. At 4,400, over 200 yards less than what he threw for last year, again, at, sitting out one of those 17 games, I'm, I'm going to go over here. What about touchdowns? They said it at 32 and a half touchdowns. He threw for 34 touchdowns last year in 16 regular season games. Yeah, that's another tough one because, like I said, I think they're going to run it better, which means I think they're going to run it more efficiently in the red zone, which means I'm leaning toward more towards Joe Mixon having a huge year. I think I'm going to go under there too because I, th- I think they're going to be more efficient running the ball in the red zone. That's one where I will agree with you there. I, w- I would probably lean under here. Although, again, that whole – if he ends up playing 17 instead of 16 games right. this year – that's that could come into play big time right here. So tough one. I'd probably lean under as well with you. And then interceptions last year through 14 of them. The number this year is 12 and a half. I'm going to go under. Cause I, I think, you know, uh, three of those were in that crazy sequence against the bears. He really struggled the first half of the year with interceptions and really, uh, after that was really good at it. He, he knew it. He talked openly about having to be better, not throwing interception and forcing passes. And like I said, I think this team, if it can get in more efficient down and distance circumstances, which I think they will, I don't think you'll have to force as many throws. So I'll, I'll go under on this one. 
yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat here. I think you nailed that. I, I he got so much better in terms of taking care of the ball and having a feel for everything and the defenses and what they were trying to do to him midway through the year and and beyond last year that it's hard for me to imagine that he does worse from an interception standpoint. Now he's still, he's still got a little bit of that gunslinger mentality to him. It's not like he's going to completely eliminate the turnovers. That's part of who he is. And you, you want him to be taking those chances because he's going to make a good number of those plays as well when he's trying to force it into a tight window or make something out of nothing. But I don't think he's going to go over that 12 and a half number. Yeah, and the other factor, too, in that second half of the year, whatever line of demarcation you want to have, maybe it was the Denver game, I can't remember which, where he started to feel more comfortable using his feet to extend plays. And I think that was one where when he was in the pocket, it was, hey, I got to force this because I can't get out. I don't feel comfortable getting out. The more comfortable he got getting out, the more those interceptions dropped as well. So I think that factors in, too. Yeah, good point. All right, Skinny. The other thing that they had here was just a most passing yards in the NFL prop bet for the year. And I thought this one was interesting. I don't think Joe Burrow is going to be in contention to throw for the most yards in the NFL. But interestingly, looking at this list, the lowest odds are Justin Herbert at plus 600. You've got Tom Brady after him at plus 800. I've got a sneaky one here. Pat Mahomes at plus 850. Derek Carr at plus 900. Dak Prescott and Joe Burrow and Josh Allen and Matthew Stafford are all at plus 1,000, meaning 10 to 1 odds. We can go on with the list, but who's your who's your I've guy? Got, I've got a sneaky one here. It's a new offense. It's a new head coach. It's a less conservative head coach. It's a more offensive-minded head coach with two premier receivers, arguably two top 10 receivers. He's a gunslinger. He can make some mistakes, but I think he's going to throw for a batload ton of yards. Find the odds on Kirk Cousins. Plus 2,200. So 22 to 1. uh, That's my guy. I don't hate that call. I don't hate that call. Uh, I don't think there's much value for Joe Burrow betters here if if you're a Cincinnati homer. I just, it's hard for me to imagine him throwing. For the most yards in the NFL this year. Yeah, I, I think I think the, the the winner of this, and there'll probably be multiple guys that do this, are going to throw for over five thousand. I just don't see a scenario Joe Burrow does that. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I don't really see. I, I tell you what, I, I like the name you gave in Kirk Cousins as a in terms of value here at twenty two to one. You know another. Uh, Another guy that could be interesting, worth a gamble, who's also in a new system here is Russell Wilson, sixteen to one. Yeah, I think though that they're gonna move. I think I think he's gonna have more ball control. Yeah, he was. Remember, I I think he was one of my when we took some mythical dollars. I think he was one of my MVP guys in mythical dollars. I think he's gonna have a really good year, but I don't I don't see him averaging three hundred yards a game. I think it's a guy you're gonna have to look at and go, that guy's gonna average three hundred yards a game, and here's why. Yeah, that's fair. There are also some uh, running back numbers here. Most rushing yards for the regular season out of the running backs. Joe Mixon is fourth lowest odds on this list. He's actually tied with Najee Harris and Nick Chubb. All of those guys at 14 to one. Jonathan Taylor is four to one. Derek Henry is four and a half to one. Dalvin Cook is 10 to one. And you got Mixon, Harris, Chubb after that. Any names you like on that list? Any value that you're seeing here? I mean, Derek Henry at four and a half to one is pretty damn good. I mean, if he's healthy, they're still going to ride that dude. Yeah. 
the the other one I, I don't like Nick Chubb just because he's they they will split not completely split carries but he's going to have carries taken away from him I do think especially with what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson in all likelihood that they are going to have to run the ball predominantly you know 40 times a game to win games um, which means Nick Chubb's going to get touches um, but you know it also means defenses are going to gang up on that too um, you you had another give me a call, you had another one in there that I that I liked I'm drawing a blank on Dalvin Cook. Najee no. Harris, Nick. Najee Chubb. Harris. Yeah, Najee Harris. I like I like that value. Yeah, so he's the same as Mixon at 14 to 1. Yeah, I just the, the Bengals offense is so much spread the wealth that, you know, like I said, I think you're gonna have a four thousand yard passer and you're probably gonna have a fourteen hundred yard rusher in Mixon, fifteen hundred yard rusher in Mixon, but I don't think that's gonna be enough to win the rushing title. Yeah, agree. I mean it it's exactly that, whether it be for Burrow, whether it be for the receivers, or whether it be for the the running backs, Joe Mixon in this case, they're all going to take a little bit of that production away from each other. I do think Joe Mixon has a, has a chance to threaten 20 rushing touchdowns, though. Uh, they don't have an over-under number. Yeah, no, I'm going just from a – if you're a fantasy football, I'm, I, I really think he's poised for a great year. I really believe that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. But – um. Like you said, I mean, I just don't think any of these guys are going to lead the NFL in their given statistical category. Yep. While we're on the topic of quarterbacks, I wanted to ask you about Baker Mayfield. He didn't completely rule out the possibility of a reconciliation with Cleveland on Tuesday when he was asked about what he would do if Deshaun Watson was suspended for the entire 22 season. The Browns wanted him back, uh, but he did sound doubtful about the situation. He told reporters, quote, I think for that to happen, there would have to be some reaching out, but we're ready to move on, I think, on both sides. Do you think there's any chance Baker Mayfield might agree to come back for one more year with the Browns if Watson is suspended for the season? I do, because um, I don't know, you know, was this a Kevin Stefanski made decision? It was not. It was above him, probably. You know, maybe he still has a relationship with Baker. Um, that makes that that coach-player relationship salvageable, in my opinion. I think for Baker – if there's no team that's really deeply interested in him at this time to take him and make him a starter, well, your best option then is to go showcase yourself in Cleveland. Um, and yeah, feelings are hurt and they're hurt. Yeah, l- listen, th- that can all be forgotten when you're the guy and they've remade you the guy and you know you're the guy. And let's say, you know, you have a great season and you can tell them to go pound sand and you can walk as a free agent. I, I think it becomes a win-win for both because no offense, you're not winning games, Cleveland, with Jacoby Brissett and whatever else. You can win games with Baker Mayfield because you did it two years ago. It just seems hard for me to believe that Baker Mayfield's stock has tanked that much. Agreed. And, and, and the thing to me, and listen, I've never thought he was great, but I thought he was certainly more than serviceable. And again, he proved it two years ago. They didn't win in spite of him. Um, he was a nice complimentary piece to wh- how they did win and was a, was a part of a reason why they did win. Uh, and last year, the dude played hurt. That should tell me guy's trying to play for his team, and instead, he's almost been vilified for that. And again, yeah. listen, I'm not here to stump for Baker Mayfield, but the bottom line is that just seems really counterproductive to me. Well, that's the weird thing is how he's kind of been thrown under the bus here in terms of like being a bad locker room guy and all of that stuff. I, I mean, we're not there. We We don't know. But he was a guy who was – putting his body through a lot of punishment last year to try to stay on the field for a team that desperately needed him, even though he didn't have a good year and they're screwed. If he's not out there, that could have cost him some of his future too. And I think it kind of did based on the, the interest there is 
uh, for him as, as a trade piece this year. So with all the teams that have needed quarterbacks in the past and even right now, it's surprising to me that nobody's that interested in him other than the standpoint of, I guess they just feel like the Browns are kind of bent over a barrel right now with their situation and no one's really willing to give them much in return for that situation. Yeah, or and or take on the Baker contract as it currently stands for this year. I mean, you, you know, teams have obviously done their all their offseason spending for the most part. Who's got the salary cap room to play with that? I, you know, I, I think that's where the best thing for, for all parties is that they reconcile because – Listen, you're now another year down the road with Miles Garrett. You're now another year down the road with Nick Chubb. You traded for Amari Cooper. I mean, Amari Cooper, rather. Um, you know, you did some things to upgrade your football team, and you're going to turn it over to Jacoby Brissett? No, you're not. You're not. I mean, there's no way you can do that. But at the same time, if I'm Baker Mayfield, it's it'd be really tough to go back and play for this. No, team. it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it honestly, would. it, it wouldn't because uh, you're, you're you need to showcase yourself. And there's, you're not showcasing yourself pouting on the sidelines by saying, I'm not coming back to play. No, it's not going to work that way. You need to go showcase yourself. I don't know. I'd have a much more difficult time than you would, clearly, with uh, with coming back. After the way they've handled this situation, I mean, it's not just the fact that they're like, screw it, we're going to get Deshaun Watson. Because I could talk myself into that to some extent of like, hey, look, it's, it's a generational talent. Maybe not generational, but he's he's a clearly elite talent in the NFL right now. We have an opportunity to go out and get him when normally you wouldn't. I can I can see why that makes sense from just a pure business perspective. But the way that they have dragged him through the mud and tried to make him look bad as they were doing it, I don't know, man. It would be tough for me to go back if I was Baker Mayfield, whether it be the other guys in the locker room who have allegedly said stuff or whether it be the front office. I just don't know that I would really be all that eager to bail them out in this in this situation, even if I felt I needed it to go out and prove myself. Yeah, I think he needs it to go out and prove himself. <laughs> I mean, put it this way. You don't think he would get, even if he just basically sits out this year, you don't think someone would be interested in him next year? I do, but not for the money he'd like to get. Yeah, but if this year's a disaster, you might not get that money anyway, because now you have back to back years. And now it's just, people think you are a problem and you do stink. No, that's fair. But, um, and I can't imagine the season goes well for the Browns. If we're being honest. I, I, again, the guy took you to the playoffs two years ago. That's all I know. And last year it was injury related, not just him and other parts of your football team. I think Cleveland's got a really good roster. Sure, but they've had a they've had a talented roster. The problem with the Browns is they're so dysfunctional. I, I can't imagine being a, a fan of that franchise. I can't either. Uh, you're right. It, it is clear dysfunction. Every time you think they've figured things out and they there's no way they can screw this up. There's just too much talent. They screw it up. It's unbelievable. And this whole Deshaun Watson thing is an absolute disaster. Yeah, they they I think they completely misplayed this hand. I would agree. All right, CBS Sports' Joel Corey tweeted the following after Washington's Terry McLaurin signed a three-year, $71 million deal this week. Quote, I have never seen a positional market skyrocket in one offseason like wide receivers are this one. There were four wide receivers in the $20 million per year club when the offseason began. There are now 12, despite Julio Jones getting cut. The number should grow before the regular season starts. Skinny, how big of a problem do you think the skyrocketing wide receiver market is for the Bengals, given their situation with T. Higgins and and Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase at some point? Yeah, I I think it's a big problem, and I think it's going to cost Tyler Boyd probably not being a Bengal next year. Um, And then you have to decide, 
how or if you're going to pay both T. Higgins and Jamar Chase moving forward. You're going to pay at least one of the two of them. But I'm of the yoke. You know, running back used to be a highly valued position in this league, right? I mean, it was a position where you drafted guys first overall sometimes. And granted, the league has changed to a passing league more than a running league. But I think teams also realize, you know, these guys take such wear and tear that we can churn and, you know, burn and churn them and, and move on to the next guy after four or five years. I'm not so sure with how much talent seems to be coming out every single year at wide receiver from college because the college game now has become such a passing game that I'm not so sure that's not the case. Yeah, I, I'd at least keep one of my superstars, but I'd be very comfortable in in starting to move forward each year, draft a guy if it has to be a first rounder or second or third rounder. I mean, Tyler Boyd was a second round guy. T. Higgins was a second round guy. Jamar was obviously very high at number five overall. But I'm not so sure that, that that's where we're at with the wide receiver group of pay at least one of them, have another guy on the come maybe that's a second, third-year guy that, that, hey, there's my talent, and then draft again and just keep burning and churning. I, I'm not so sure that's not where we're at at that position group, to be quite frank. Because Joe Corey's right. I I mean, the, the Christian Kirk contract's the one that I think sent everybody over the edge, and that has just absolutely changed that market for the worst. Do you think there's any way that – and I know Jamar Chase is going to be wanting a contract extension as soon as possible because of the way that he's played already. But do you think there's a way that you can delay that a little bit? If you, if you sign T Higgins to an extension next year, that you can delay the Jamar Chase extension sure. a little bit longer since you have him under control. And then maybe you pay both of them, but you only have a year or two where they're both getting big money. And then at that point, maybe you do move on from T Higgins and you draft the next guy to, to play alongside Chase. Is that how you see this playing out potentially? Well, sure. sure. I mean, you could always put the fifth-year option on Jamar Chase, and then in theory, you could then his six-year slap a franchise tag on him. Now we're six years down the road. Will it piss him off? Probably, but you could do it. Yeah, and, and that's part of the issue there is you, you want a working relationship. You don't want him sitting out or something all of a sudden. But, I mean, it is a business to, to some extent too here. And, you know, T, T. Higgins has been great. But I would be okay with trying to keep these guys together for this window as long as you can, and then understanding that eh, it's not going to last forever. You you know you you have them together for another four or five years, and yeah, then right. you move on. Yeah, I think you can play that game. I, I do. I think a lot of fans have sort of started looking. They've been hearing that. Oh, okay, maybe you're not going to have Tyler Boyd, but you start seeing these contract numbers, and you realize that T. Higgins probably ain't taking wide receiver number two money. That's right. T Higgins probably thinks he's an elite number one type of receiver in the league at this point. And, and especially if he has another year, like we're expecting him to have to where all of a sudden you start seeing these numbers, you start doing the math. It's like, can they afford to have even just Higgins and chase, even if you do decide to move on from Boyd and it starts getting questionable here. So I, I think a well, lot of people have been a little bit more worried about that recently. And this goes back to the whole Jesse Bates situation. You're just not going to, you can't pay everybody. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely moving on from Jesse Bates and any safety in the NFL before I'm moving on from T Higgins or Jamar Chase. So if you can save money there, Rick, Rick, that's the exact point you're dead. I mean, that's the, that's the point that fans have to get through their head of you need to sign Jesse Bates. No, you don't. It's just not a position of value that you need to overpay for, especially when you've got superstars that you've got to pay for key positions. Otherwise it's that simple. I think your point of constantly drafting guys too is a good one. Now you can get yourself in trouble there. If all of a sudden you miss two or three times in a row. And now you've just got nothing left and you're running out John Ross's of the world or what have you, but 
at the same time, they've also hit on a fair number of guys recently. And you do start wondering, okay, if you have one stud, could he also raise the level of some of these younger guys? Absolutely. Um, Especially with a quarterback like Joe Burrow, that helps as well. And listen, I I know Kansas City has Travis Kelsey to go along with Tyreek Hill. Off the top of your head, name me two or three other Kansas City wide receivers of the last few years. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, but on the spot, but yeah, your, your point is well made. All right, let's switch gears here. Uh, This is a national topic from college basketball that I wanted to get into. Memphis transfer Amani Bates is committed to Eastern Michigan University. That just happened this week. Bates is a native of Ypsilanti, Michigan, which is home to the EMU Eagles. But if you're not familiar with Bates, he was ranked number one in the 2022 class for a long time and was being compared to guys like LeBron and Durant as the next big thing coming to the NBA. A lot of people thought he would never even play college basketball. He would just do one year in the overtime league or whatever it's called and uh, then move on. He played one year at Memphis last season, only played about half the year due to injury Averaged 9.7 points, 3.3 rebounds. Wasn't quite what everyone expected. Then he entered the transfer portal and now he is headed to the Mac skinny. What do you make of a former five-star talent like Bates taking his talent to the Mac? Yeah, I mean, listen, when you look at his numbers last year, he actually started out pretty well. I think his first three games, he scored 15 points in each, literally, I think right on 15 in each each of those games. And then um, – Never the did back, it again. Yeah, never did it again. I think some of that – you know, with a back injury, I mean, it's got to limit you as a basketball player. Um, you know, there was some dysfunction there in Memphis, obviously, last year, just in general. You know, maybe it's a guy that just says, you know what, I want to go back home for a year. I want to be back around my 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 crew, my folks, my people. Um, and there happens to be a college basketball program there, and it's going to be a comfort level for me. Um, it's interesting because, I mean, if he let's say he averages 20 and 10 there, for example, or whatever, whatever number you want to give me that's a number you're like, that's an all-Mac level player. Does that really do anything for his stock? I mean, his stock is probably going to be what it's going to be. Um, and it may still be very high where NBA guys go, listen, his, it was all back related. And maybe that's all he wants to do is go somewhere where he can show I'm healthy. When I'm healthy, I'm a dude. I'm going to be a dude in this league. I'm back home. I, yeah, I, It's interesting, but I, I think there's some of those factors probably involved for him too. He is an interesting story just in general. He was so hyped. And I'll be honest, I mean, this was at the time where I was traveling to a lot of the national events. So I, right. he was a guy I got to see a lot of as a prep prospect. He could definitely score it. He had the length and athleticism to go with it. So I got why he was ranked highly. I never understood why he was on the cover of Sports Illustrator or ESPN or whatever it was. And people were comparing him to LeBron and Durant and all this stuff. It, he never looked like that type of talent. And he clearly didn't look ready. Like meant when you see a guy like a LeBron or even I'll go to OJ Mayo for a guy that locals might remember and might have seen as, as a prep. Those guys are st- does there's their alphas there's no doubt about if they're ready or not or you know who's in control who's dominating there's just no question ever when they're in the gym you stop and you watch them and they dominate that was never really the case with Imani Bates I mean we'd see him lose head-to-head battles in AAU games there'd be AAU games where he just disappeared and didn't play well and didn't handle having a target on his back very well and Last year at Memphis, it was a lot of that. I mean, he looked kind of like what I expected him to look like, which was a very good freshman basketball player. I was going to say, not, yeah, that's, those are pretty good numbers for just a normal freshman basketball yeah, player. And a guy dealing with an injury, too. Right. So, I mean, like, I, 
it's not at all that he can't play, but this move, if I were a, a NBA front office person, this move would actually concern me a little bit with a guy like him. It, it, it kind of seems like he just doesn't want to be the guy. And that's possible. But again, I go back to maybe he just wants to get in a comfort zone. Um, but I, that, that's, that's kind of my point right there. Right. Like, I mean, you, you can't now, why he ever went to Memphis, I'll, I'll never understand. Most people thought he was going to college. Then he was committed to Michigan State and then randomly ends up at Memphis, which, you know, say what you right. will about yeah, how recruiting right. works and what went down right. there. But that just seemed like it probably wasn't a great fit because of how sudden it sort of happened there at the end. Um, I don't know if Penny knows what he's doing in terms of running a, a college basketball program or not. But I would still just be concerned about him going down a level to play at the Mac. I mean, not that every situation is the same, but Pat Baldwin Jr., who played at Milwaukee last year in the Horizon League and and did the one-and-done route there instead of going big time and playing for Duke or somewhere like that. A lot of it had to do with injury, but that was a disaster. That didn't work out at all. Part of that was... His injury history, part of that was his father being the coach. Part of that was the fact that he was in the Horizon League and at Milwaukee. And at the end of the day, he still ended up going to the Golden State Warriors and things could work out great for him. But it definitely hurt his stock in a major way. I mean, he was supposed to be a top 10 guy coming out of the draft and he didn't go anywhere close to that. So, I mean, I I think this is going to affect Imani Bates' stock. He has to really put on a freaking show now in the match. No, that's probably right. And that, but he, he is kind of that cautionary tale that we talked about with Shaden Sharp. Don't go expose yourself, man. You never know. Yeah. And that's kind of what has happened. Of course, I mean, he, he had to play a year somewhere. You know, it's not like he could go straight to the league. So we had put, to you can play in that G, You can play in that G League elite thing, put up 13 and five, and nobody cares. Yeah, you're probably right. I just, that, I always wonder how they evaluate those games. You know, because like those G League games, Everybody scores 20 points a game. Right. I don't know how you really evaluate that, but at least from an NBA perspective, but yeah, I I will say when I, when I read that story, my jaw did drop of, wow, he's really going back there. Okay. I know he kept listing them along with like Michigan and yeah, Yeah. all these other schools that had big time interest in him. And it's like, if you're going back to Ypsilanti, is it that different to go back to Ann Arbor? I mean, that's pretty close to your hometown. Is it not? Yeah. So Anyway, all right, let's get into some Ask Skinny Anything. We'll start off with Adrian Peterson and Le'Veon Bell, Skinny. I don't know if you've seen this, but they have signed contracts for a heavyweight boxing exhibition on July 30th at Crypto.com Arena, which used to be Staples Center. Uh, Do you have any interest in seeing these two running backs box? And also, do you have any interest in seeing former athletes box in general? I found Chad boxing really fascinating, I guess maybe because it's local and we ended up putting up, you know, a story on it. It actually did well, but no, I think the win-win for all of us is that they somehow have a dual knockout because they are just two turds. <laughs> just strike at the same time. It's yeah, like correct. the scene from Step Brothers with the baseball bat and golf club. They just both yeah. knock each other out at the same time. That's a, that, that would be the, yeah, that would be the win-win for all of us, but no, I have no interest in watching these two box. I don't either, but I am interested in this business model or this concept of, I think, you know, the Paul brothers kind of started all this with these getting sort of former athletes to box them and, 
and creating a, a business model around it with pay-per-views and everything else. Well, the, the one Paul's better at it than the other, right? Yeah, I think uh, Logan Paul has kind of dropped out of the boxing stuff, but Jake Paul's still doing it seriously. No, I know he is. I, I'll ask you, as you follow the sport, is he, is he got a, has he got another bout lined up soon? He's supposed to be like fighting Tommy Fury, Tyson Fury's brother. Okay. Um, but Tyson, Tommy Fury keeps ducking that match. They're supposed to have it set up. And now all of a sudden, like Tommy Fury won't respond or something. I don't know. But point being that this is kind of a spinoff of that. I think we'll agree of these exhibition boxing oh, matches yeah. that we've seen set up recently. And I think these guys are saying, hey, there's there's a payday for this. The one thing about boxing, it is a great sport. It's a fascinating sport. It can be very entertaining, but it is hard to get into. And a big reason for that is it's hard to develop stars in it. There, they, there really aren't a lot of superstars in the sport. And the guys who are the best are usually the best because it's been set up that way. And they're not boxing the other best guy. I mean, we have so few big name bouts in the sport of boxing these days where you actually get two named guys that are somewhat famous that more than just your avid boxing fan will recognize that it's, it's hard to create these huge pay-per-view matchups. And it's hard to gain a lot of interest from casual fans or observers. This is one way to do that with getting. So, I mean, it's why the celebrity boxing match was always an intriguing thing, you know, celebrity death matches when they used to do cartoons of it, everything like bringing names that you recognize into it, watching them fight. Like we all watch knockout videos on the internet all the time. They go viral on social media for people. We don't even know. We as humans like seeing people get beat up. So if you, you stretch that and you put people that we know that are famous in a ring and let them do it. I do think there's going to be interest. I don't really care to see Adrian Peterson and Le'Veon Bell do it, but you know, you maybe get me a couple of uh, actors or something that I, that I enjoy. I I'd probably tune in. I gotta be honest. How about Johnny Depp, Amber Heard in the ring? <laughs> I think they've already done that. Yeah, they they ever heard one. Yeah, I think yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, she did win. Yeah, that's yeah. a good that's a good call. That's a good yeah. did, didn't Pac-Man fight recently, or isn't he going to fight soon? I thought he did, but I don't remember who that was. Yeah, I don't either. With. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think he actually did. Wasn't he like a a, a preview for the uh was he a preview for the Chad Johnson fight? No, I don't think I don't think so. Maybe. I don't think so. Oh, no. You know what he did? He did uh, Barstool Sports Rough and Rowdy. That's what he did. You're right. That's exactly what he did. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, again, I think this is I think this trend is going to continue. This one doesn't do a lot for me specifically, but I'd be lying if I said I won't watch the highlight videos on Twitter when it comes out. So <laughs> there you go. You have to spend on it. Yeah. All right. Uh, in lieu of Pat Noonan being told by the linesman, quote, a good team would have put the game away up 3-0, but you gave it away when arguing about a disallowed goal last night. What is the worst slash most disrespectful thing a ref told Skinny during a game? Uh, that I was too loud. I got teed up for being too loud once. That's it? That too loud. Like an, an every game problem with you, I would imagine. Yeah, too, no, no, too, too loud. Yeah, I am too loud, but, but yeah, I got, I got a too loud uh, on, on me. Um, That's yeah, the most I, disrespectful or worst thing you've ever been told. Yeah, I, I usually, I, I have not, I've never had a guy that that's told me because listen, if I'm getting my my ass beat, there's really nothing for me to complain about at that point. That is on me as a coach. Um, and even complaining like losing a lead or whatever like that. I will tell you, I, I don't think the, the ref has a place for that. In fact, I think that referee should honestly be suspended. That's not his place. 
No, that's a wild thing to say. That, yeah, that, that that's not his place for that. If he just said that to me, um, if I had, had ever had an official, I would have gone off. I would have gotten tossed. I can tell you that right now. Oh, no question. Yeah, you would have lost it. Yeah, I no, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I've only it's funny as much as if, as I portray myself as a madman and I am a little bit. I think in all my years of coaching, I've probably coached for now fifteen years between middle school, high school, AAU boys, AAU girls. Got teed up seven or eight times tops. I think three when I've coached high school, and one of them was from a guy, and he laughs about it now. Um, he's actually a, a, a high school administrator here locally, and we, we laugh about it this day. He said, I just remember, he goes, you were just getting on my nerves, and that's why I had to bang you. And I, that's when he turned around and he said, you're just too loud. And I went, what did I say? And that's all he said. He goes, you're just too loud. So he laughs. I laugh about it today, too. So, no, I, I was always, I'm always good at knowing where the line is, Rick. I really am. I, I can get there pretty quickly. And then I know if I don't want to get teed up, I'll pull back pretty quickly because I hate giving away two free points as well. I hate that part of it. Yeah, you're a habitual line stepper. I am. I'm right on it, man. Is Skinny a big fireworks guy? I you. assume I know the answer, but regardless, <laughs> what's his favorite type of firework? You. In fact, like I said last week, when we had to sit around and listen to 15 minutes of Adina Manzel sing whatever the hell she was singing that I wasn't paying any attention to, just so we could watch the fireworks show that went along with it, I literally said... I could have watched this at the Florence Yorals on a Friday night and been quite content. Did you just call them the Florence Yorals? Yorals. Florence Yorals. <laughs> I thought you pronounced like the whole. I might have. Two no. words. That was Florence amazing. I, yeah. Yeah. No, I. Yorals. Now, I will say back in back in uh, the day, we had uh, a good friend of ours um, whose parents and he actually grew up on Scenic Drive in Park Hills. So each year for the for the EBN fireworks we would go up to their house i mean you couldn't have asked for a better vantage point and that was fun because it was just a it was like the last part of summer it was you know a big get together big cookout all that kind of stuff that went along with it and the fireworks were kind of the end of the night to it and i kind of enjoyed that but i'm just not i just i'm just not a fireworks guy well you've also got the dog situation right where your yeah, dogs freak out and all that yeah, yeah they freak out yeah if if my dog was bothered by that stuff i would hate him but my dog doesn't care about any noises at all. I mean, you could fire off a gun right next to her and she's happy to be next to you. So, uh, yeah, it, d- it doesn't really bother me. In fact, I kind of like fireworks, but I, I sympathize with the people who have the dog situation. For well, sure. but, but but even the one I went to in, in, in Epcot, and then we went to the Disney fireworks on Thursday, which, again, I said was a waste of time. And I got I got yelled at for that one. Like, We've done what you wanted to do all day. And now you can sit and watch the fire. And I, people are ooing and on. I'm like, what, are, what is it's just things popping in the sky? What is there to ooh and ah about, man? It's the first time I've ever seen them, I guess. Then Tinkerbell came floating down the thing, and everybody's ooing. I'm like, she's on a string. It's still just leave me alone. I want to go home. <laughs> you're like, you're not into short people, huh? Well, my, that's what my daughter I think is eventually going to play at Disney World is Tinkerbell. She's she's a five foot blonde who fits the t fits the mold to a t. Oh, really? Yes. So, fair enough. Uh, is Skinny a shirt on or off in the pool, guy? Um, shirt off. Yeah, I, I, I'm, trust me, I'm not trying to show my body off by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah, I'm not a shirt on in the pool guy. I, I did, uh, a couple, uh, how long ago was this? Five or six years ago, NKU played down in Mexico in a tournament, and I went to the beach one day and just got myself scorched like a dumbass. Yeah. Um, because it was one of those days where it's just, it's so comfortable. You got the nice breeze. You don't think about it. I don't a little put overcast. Yeah, I, I never put suntan. I never have. I, I've got Cuban blood in me, and I've, I, I usually burn the first time through and then I'm good for the rest of the summer. 
Um, but I did at that point when I went in the ocean, you know, the, the next couple of days or in the pool, I had the shirt on because it, it was uncomfortable to, to, to feel any sun rays on that. Yeah. And, and I've seen people do that before. I think that's always fair. Of course, you never, if it's like, the problem is if you're a fat guy and you get burnt and do that, then it's like everyone thinks you're just doing it because you're fat. <laughs> Correct. So Correct. it's like, it kind of sucks. I mean, you can't, it's like, you can't be a fat guy and get burnt and then wear the shirt. Cause everyone, that's right. And it's like a, it is a bad look. If you're the fat guy who thinks you're covering up your body by wearing a t-shirt in the pool. Well, then you get in the pool. It just like sticks to you. It sticks to you. It's, yeah. it's like, we all see it, my yep. man. Like you're yep. not, you're not saving us anything from the imagination. So the one thing though, I was, uh, we went to my wife's family's pool. They, they belong to Turpin Hill swim club. And something I've noticed through the last few times we were there is it does seem like a lot of the adult men are wearing like Under Armour type shirts in the water. Okay. You know, like so not, not necessarily the super fitted ones, but there's like dry fit moisture wicking shirts. And, and it's, so, like like, a, but, it's like a handful. And some of our fit guys, I mean, they're not like, you know, it doesn't seem like they're really trying to cover it up. So I'm like, I don't, is that becoming like a thing that people just do that uh, now? Like no. tank toppy or, or no long sleeve. Long, you long, it all long, up. Oh, long, long. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. it's honestly, maybe it's for people that don't want to put suntan lotion on and don't want to get burned. That's what I was assuming, but it was, it seemed like a little bit more of a trend. Like that's like the new dad thing to do or something. Cause there's like, I saw it, you know, maybe a month ago and it was a handful of guys. And then we went back and it was a, a different handful of guys. We're doing it this time. I was like, is that like a trend here? Is that just a Turpin Hills thing or what's going on? Cause we used to make fun of people that were wearing their shirts in the pool. Cause it's, Oh yeah. Yeah. No question. All right. Uh, Jersey Mike's or Penn station. Oh, Penn station. I am a huge Penn station. I get the same thing just about every time the, the Philly cheese steak from Penn oh, station. So good. Oh. It's so good. It, in fact, it's so bad that literally once a week, if my wife, if she, she works in the office twice a week. Actually, today is one of those days that we're recording this prod, podcast. And that's usually the night she'll call and say, hey, I'll pick up something for dinner. What do you want? And literally on one of the two nights she's coming home, if I'm home, it'll be Penn Station and she'll get the big side. go, then you pick. No, Penn Station's fine. <laughs> I love it. I'm, I, dude, I, I, if I could do it, I would literally have it once a week. Oh yeah, I I could easily do that. I mean, I like Jersey Mike's too, but I'm with you. Penn Station wins easily here. Well, and the other part too is their their fries are cut just so that 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 I can put malt vinegar on them and they hold up to the test of the malt vinegar, which is a big test for me. I, I'm with. Do you remember the old fat fries from uh, Kings Island? Like those absolutely big old thick cut fr- those absolutely. were the best with the vinegar. Yes, no question. They, yeah, you you can't. I, I love McDonald's fries too, actually. But, but they're not a malt vinegar type fry. The Penn no, Station ones are perfectly different. done for malt vinegar. Perfect. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's the other problem there between the two restaurants. You go to Jersey Mike's, where you're getting like Miss Vicky's chips with it. Right. I mean, it's like, that's okay. But, you know, nothing compared to those home cut fries. Yeah, Jersey Mike's are good. Uh, believe it or not, I used to like Firehouse subs, and I haven't had those in a long time. That's not my favorite. They got a good meatball sub. Okay, I haven't had but, that. But Jersey Mike's or Penn Station, much better than... Uh, yeah, Penn Station. Penn Station is my go-to place. No question. Yeah. The best and worst excuses, real or made up, Skinny has used in his life to avoid social gatherings. <laughs> I got to think about this one. Uh, uh, that's... that's it, it, I guess you got to define the social gatherings. Is it something that I'm being dragged to, or is it something that, that I kind of need to go to? Yeah, I mean, it could be either or here. I mean, it could be something you wanted to go to maybe and just made up an excuse for or actually had a real excuse, but I don't know, maybe you crapped your pants. I have no idea, but do you have any good stories of reasons why you weren't able to go to? No, I, I usually, most of them are not made up. I mean, I'll, 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 I'll You're honestly, a busy guy. 
I'm busy and well, and I can find more like, like this past weekend, if, if, and I've used this before, I had to coach AAU for my buddy's team. Cause he was, he had to take his daughter to governor school for, for governor school for, for the whatever arts. it is. Yeah. Program down at Bellarmine and they were playing up in Indy this weekend. So I said, yeah, I, I can do it. Um, even though I was the only one at home and, and the dogs were, were there. And that would be one where like, if, if it was an event I didn't really want to go to, I'd find a way to say, Hey, I got to go coach for this guy or with this guy or for this. Um, yeah, I'm not a big excuse guy. I don't, I don't like using sickness as an excuse. Cause it feels like karma is going to come back and get you that if you say you're sick, then you're going to get sick. That's why I'm not a sick day guy. I don't take sick days. Cause I just, you know, the fake sick days that people take that I'm not fond of, as you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I've talked to you about this. You don't do it. I, I, I don't no, want to be clear. It's not, it's not you doing it, but it's people that we know that do that, it. I don't that's not like a me it. problem, but it is that's a rampant correct. problem around these parts. That is correct. Um, and I don't like it because it, it, I just feel like, you know what? God's going to get you. He, he know, you don't, don't lie about that. He'll get you sick. If you want to be sick, no, nah, I don't mess with any of that. So no, I'm not a, it's usually a legit excuse. I, I'm not a, if I've committed to something and going to something, I'll go to it. I may not like it, but I'll go to it. I may not interact with anybody, but I'll go to it. Yeah. I can't think of any good made up excuses or real excuses either. I mean, I just, yeah, like I said, if I'm I've an com- excuse guy, but nothing comes to I mind. Mean, there's plenty of times I've committed to go speak at something. And then the day of you're like, do I really want to go do this? Well, I've committed to it. So I'll go do it. Yeah. That's kind of just what it is. Uh, and we'll wrap it up with this skinny, a story that we were sent. A Shanghai man recently went viral in his home country after asking his ex-girlfriend to compensate him for all the expenses incurred while they dated. The man compiled an incredibly detailed list of expenses incurred while dating a woman who had since broken up with him. The unusual list featured hundreds of line items totaling up to about $9,000, complete with dates and times, as well as descriptions of specific expenditures for clarity. What do you think about keeping a running tally on your dates and asking for the money back if it doesn't work out? Well, it sounds like, was she a prostitute? Oh, I mean, this was a real, re- her, uh, her, her mom died and the guy's family helped her pay for the funeral. He's asking for money back for that. I mean, it's, this is the real, they were in a real relationship. I'm going to call this guy a clown. That's just a clown move. I mean, if you did something at the time you thought was the right thing to do, then just live with that decision. Yeah. I mean, everyone's been there, right? I mean, you're. You're like, man, why did I ever spend $300 on this for her when I knew? At at what point do you call that then a prostitute and a whore that you're you're dating? Literally, you're paying for things for services rendered, right? Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, no. It's a bad look. Clown show, man. This guy, I'm going to call Shanghai guy clown show. Do you have any uh, petty breakup stories? I've got one from a friend of mine back in the day. It's one of my favorite ones of all time. He was dating a cheerleader from another school and she was just in the day smoking hot. And he was one of those guys, good looking dude. He could pretty much score just about any woman he wanted. Um, So they were dating for a good period of time and she was great people. I mean, hang around and all that stuff. He broke up with her at Christmas because he didn't want to buy her a present. (laughs) I had a couple friends who used to do that. They dated again. He broke up with her again at her birthday so he didn't have to buy her a birthday present. Needless to say, the relationship didn't last much longer after that. Yeah, I that I remember that being a thing like around. I mean, a lot of it was like high school age where it really didn't matter. Anyways. Well, yeah, and this was this was back in high school days. But I had a couple friends who I mean, legitimately were doing that as like 20 year olds. Yeah, that's yeah, at that point. No, that's, that's, and, that's and not just like it happened once because, the, you know, it wasn't a serious relationship or something. I mean, like 
there's one one specifically that I can think of. He had been dating the girl for multiple years. <laughs> He's like, I don't want to get her again, so he broke up with her. I mean, well, and then, then they got but, back but, together. Hang on, though. So, but if he was dating for multiple, did he buy her gifts at other points of time yeah, throughout that? Yeah, okay. that's the that's the thing I don't get about it. Like they they were it was a real thing. They had been going out for a long time, and he was just like. You know, I don't know if he was just broke. I mean, we were all broke at the time. You're 20 years old, but well, correct, like, correct. But, but I mean, I just don't I, know if he was like, I, I don't see this going long term. I think we've hit the people. The, well, yeah, then they started it, dating again afterwards. I mean, yeah, it was that, just that, see, that's weird. I was to say that sounds to me like the relationship had run its course, which is fine. But I mean, at that point, then you go back to dating again. Or did they eventually marry, or did they finally no, go separate ways? No, yeah, they were they were a little bit uh, toxic for each other. I would say ultimately. Yeah. I mean not because of this just in general they were kind of arguers and a little bit crazy but did he keep did he keep a running tab <laughs> no he didn't he he got married had a kid and then got divorced with a, a different girl so he's he uh, like he still out there if anybody's well, interested he, if any of the he sounds like he's got re- yeah he sounds like he's got relationship issues to me i would say that's probably fair i've actually yeah. got a, a a petty move i pulled of my own uh in college a girl that i'd been dating for a while um i had one christmas i'd bought her before everyone had the same exact cell phone, it was just like, you know, either an iPhone or a Pixel, but they all look the same. We used to right. have different phone, you know, flip phones, sliders, all different types of stuff. Do you remember? I loved my Blackberry, by the way. I did too. Do you remember the uh, old LG chocolates? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd got it. Those were hot at the time. And I'd got her a white chocolate, an LG white chocolate phone. And I bought the policy for if it anything goes wrong you know they they refund you or give you a new phone whatever that was at the time they don't do that stuff anymore but uh back in the day you could pay an extra however many however much money and if it broke they'd, they'd fix it or get you a new one and insurance policy is what the word i was looking for there i guess and anyway so we break up and she comes to me a while after and is like hey this phone you got me isn't working anymore is there any way you could give me that insurance policy so i could get it returned and i was like no no i can't i lost it wow yeah i just that and looking back so you I'm said, like, wait, that's so, extremely petty. so you said you lost it right yeah yeah I did. was that a lie was yeah. that a oh lie? yeah oh yeah okay so there you go there, oh yeah so i was lied. looking at it as i said it i mean it was like oh, sitting my. right on my desk i was i was oh, kind of waiting for that to be asked i was hoping the phone might not work so she'd have to ask Seriously, why did Blackberries go away? They were the perfect tool for for texting, and, and honestly, in the Twitter world, I think they'd have been great. I'm I've got terrible fingers on Twitter. It's awful. I remember specifically doing like full blown stories yes. on a on a BlackBerry, and uh, there was there were a couple other fo- any of those ones with the full QWERTY keyboards on the phone. Loved it. Fantastic. Although I, I never thought I would use a touch screen phone. Before the craze took over, I was like, these are terrible. I'm always going to want a physical keyboard. It's worked out better than I thought since we went to all touchscreen. But I do miss the full keyboard. Back in the day, the sidekicks with the screen flipping up. Yes. I was. I loved having a variety of cell phones. But Okay. I'm glad, I, thought, I thought this was going to be an old man thing for me. I'm glad you're no, on my corner with this. I loved, I loved doing work on – I mean, you could just uh, – it was like – typing on a computer i just i could sit there and work forever on one you just write full stories this is and like I, and I, college age and i was like starting to get into journalism i was writing all my stories on a blackberry i've watched a couple of of journalism friends that have written them on the on the current iphones and i can't i'm like i don't know how you do that i can't do it yeah i don't do much of that anymore but i remember specifically doing it on the the old blackberry when they first got like the the track wheel and the color screens that like blackberry pearls and all that those were the best 
I will say, I, I, Mick Cronin, I think, has told the story where he can literally, this is incredible to me, he can text in his pocket without even looking. That's incredible to me. It's a man that's played a lot of pocket pool in his life. There you go. Boom, boom. All right, Rick, thanks very much. Appreciate the questions. We've got a couple questions in the bag that we were not able to get to that we will that were not, not overly time sensitive. So we'll get to, to those uh, on next week's podcast um, as we inch closer and closer to the All-Star break. And boy, what an All-Star break it will be for all of us. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Popery edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. 